Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 43rd episode, I'm joined by artist Audrey Russell Hazen from New York. It's very exciting. We talk all about her sculptural work and installation and miniatures and all sorts of fun stuff. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you that we have a ton of different artists' interviews and images and links and all sorts of stuff, so please go to studiobreak.com. Again, you can subscribe there to, to get any updates. And of course, if you like listening to artist interviews and podcasts, please go check us out on iTunes and subscribe there. Just search for Studio Break under iTunes. And again, we'd really appreciate it if you left us some feedback. So if you happen to like this episode, please go ahead and do that. Lastly, you can follow us at Studio Break on Twitter. And you can also get updates by checking us out on Facebook's Studio Break page. So please go ahead and like us there as well. We'd really appreciate it. And with that being said, let's move on to the interview. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm happy to be joined this morning by Audrey Hazen Russell. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Well, it's great to have you on. And, you know, obviously, if, um, well, first things first, I mean, if you could just give us an idea of where you're at right now so uh, we can add to the level of excitement, because I'm in the Midwest <laughs> and the Chicago area, and you are. I am uh, currently, I live in Queens, uh, in New York City. Um, I've been in, uh, out here in Queens for about three years, and I'm in the neighborhood of South Richmond Hill, which is a little more toward uh, the edge, toward the beach, toward the airport. <laughs> nice, nice. And so um, could you just tell us a little bit about where you're from, maybe, too, and, and, and how you migrated? I mean, obviously, that's a... That's something you can easily wrap up in about a minute, minute and a half. Um, but if you need a little bit more time to elaborate, um, it'd be it'd be good because you know we like to we like to know about who we're talking to. Uh, yes, of course. Um, it's pretty linear. I grew up uh, in Greenville, Tennessee, which is in uh, East Tennessee at the foothills of the uh, Appalachian Mountains there, and. Um, I grew up on the family farm. Uh, my parents aren't necessarily farmers, but um, the um, this is the farm that my ancestors had. And uh, from there, I went to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, uh, also about an hour and a half away from my hometown, and I studied sculpture there. Um, and I was there for about five years, and... Um, I was, uh, my parents also studied art at the University of Tennessee, so I was a uh, second generation art school. Um, <laughs> and then uh, af- directly after that, I went to uh, just outside of Detroit to Cranbrook Academy of Art uh, for graduate school where I studied sculpture as well. Uh, Cranbrook is just a graduate program, there's no undergrad. So it's a really unique situation, and that's what took me there. And it was interesting being on the outskirts of Detroit. Um, yeah, I would imagine for your work especially, too. But this this would have been when? Uh, so I, I, I moved to Detroit um, in 2004, and it's a two-year program. So I only stayed the two years through 2006. And then I moved to Brooklyn um, straight away. Well, so, it, sorry. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, so much about what your work deals with now seems to deal with with uh, place. And um, it seems like you've lived in a lot of interesting places. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I and and it always takes me a little while to absorb the place. So uh, Detroit, two years is actually really short <laughs> to be somewhere. And I almost didn't absorb it until I left all the way, you know, I, or I was there and I was witnessing it and I was moving around in the, in the sort of structure that is, you know, the city of Detroit and versus the suburbs and the stuff in between and, um, that landscape. But, uh, you know, it's almost for me, it takes me a while to really let that stuff, uh, affect my work. Um, and so it's sort of, I have a one to two year delay actually for it to creep in. Um, 
and was it something that started out early in terms of your being interested in, in places or I, I would imagine just where you grew up as something that maybe informed, um, you know, what you've come to do and be interested in. Oh, um, but, but was that something that was really important in terms of growing up? Um, and I guess if so, I mean, what, what was your relationship to, uh, you know, it's interesting. We, I, I don't know if it's just because of the, the, uh, the nature of, I don't know. I, I was going to say, we wind up with a lot of, a lot of folks that wind up, uh, really kind of, um, I don't know, kind of being investigated or interested in, um, almost kind of like these rural spots or, or farmland or, you know, the plains. And it's really interesting to see the way that that process kind of affects them. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. And I think even more recently in my work, I'm mining it a little bit more specifically. Um, whereas I, in my earlier work and throughout school, I was doing it a little bit more, um, sort of tangentially to, to my memory. So basically I grew up on a, uh, about a hundred acres on the, on the farm. So I, I have a different sense of space, I think, than maybe someone who, uh, grew up with a smaller bit of land or in the city, definitely in the city, um, but, uh, I think that, you know, I know a lot of artists talk about play and I think that my sense of space and place, you know, come from, comes from just moving around and making these little, uh, moments in, in fields, in the woods, you know, versus my, in the house or in the yard, um, which I did all of those things or in the barn, and what I sort of um, thrive on is the little snippets of memory of architecture or, you know, uh, the bucolic setting and the architecture in that setting, which is barns or even just light poles or ruins. And then also the domestic uh, architecture, the houses and my, you know, how you collect uh objects and, you know, dishes and clothes and all that stuff, uh, and how that ends up in the landscape just by a cobbling of memories. It's kind of like a visual collage of those moments. And that's, that's kind of what informs my work. However, I sort of see everything as, um, or not everything, but, uh, the pieces that I make, even though they're becoming more abstracted, all being, based in landscape and based in, in a uh, fragment of landscape, be it domestic or sort of nostalgic landscape. Um, in my earlier work, I had, uh, another way that that affected me is growing up at the foothills of the mountains. They're sort of, the Smokies are always in the distance in my hometown. You can see them off and, you know, they're great, but that kind of shape, uh, that rolling sort of really old mountain shape is kind of burned into my visual memory. (laughs) And it's very easy for me to just like, as soon as if I'm making something and that kind of comes out, it just is, is really satisfying, like a puzzle piece, even if it's the same one every time I've sort of deconstructed that more, but I used to have a lot more, um, sort of mountain shapes that uh, I would generate in the sculpture through fabric or wood or um, things like that, if that answers your question somewhat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, and it's, you know, like I said, it's just so hard to unpack anybody in an hour, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because you live with yourself your whole life. I mean, (laughs) there's all these... Yeah, I don't even know what I'm doing. (laughs) All these little facets to everyone that, you know, you kind of collect, you know. Uh Um, But what was it like, I guess, in terms of then also... um, you know, the way that you started coming about to it, was it, was it something that you were, you know, really creative in terms of, uh, you know, kind of growing up and in high school and that, I mean, were you interested in the arts or was it something that kind of came, um, Uh, through some other means? Yeah. Yeah. Lord. Yes. Um, both of my parents. Oh gosh, what am I saying? Yeah. Your parents are artists. (laughs) Gosh. Well, both of my parents are artists. Um, they, they both went to art school, um, in painting and then, and that's where they met. And, uh, then my dad went on to, pursue a graduate degree in sculpture and glass. And so he, uh, my whole life, uh, he's a, you know, glass blower and craftsperson and sculptor. 
And so that's, you know, was our livelihood and what, um, we mostly, he mostly did on the farm at a studio there. Um, and, uh, my mom also has always taught, uh, art classes locally and helped dad with the business. So of course they were really encouraging, you know, right before I started applying to college, they, you know, threw in there, you asking if maybe I wanted to be a doctor, but I, <laughs> I didn't feel like I was not geared that way. Um, all these years, maybe they should have asked sooner. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've always been, uh, sort of in this vein. I also am trying to, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's not just my practice in the studio, but, um, a way of life, you know, just being a creative person and creatively, figuring out everything. So I creatively problem solve in my studio practice and financially and in, you know, living and, you know, I find all those things really interconnected. So how did this, how did this wind up then in terms of maybe what you wound up doing, um, you know, in terms of pursuing that, I mean, were you, were, did you gravitate towards something like, like painting or, um, did you move right into sculpture, say, like when you started undergraduate school? Um, I definitely, hmm, I never really gravitated toward painting at all, actually. I always wanted to make physical, three-dimensional things. Um, I was, I fairly early in undergrad, I, you know, started pursuing sculpture and going for that, uh, you know, uh, focus there. Um, when I went to graduate school, uh, the head of the sculpture department at Cranbrook, Heather McGill had a big emphasis on sculptors working on drawings. Um, Cranbrook is a, it's a studio and critique based program. So you don't, um, have classes, you have critical studies and it's all self driven. Um, but there are some things that the head of the department can kind of, uh, emphasize, uh, for you and your studio practice. And she really thought it was important for people, for sculptors to draw or paint or do some kind of, you know, 2d activity that wasn't just sketching for the next piece. Sure. Um, or, well, I say that, but that's movable depending on, you know, like putting some intent into your sketches at the very right, right. Um, and so that's where I actually developed my drawing practice and, um, doing watercolors and drawings there. And then I've continued throughout and it really helps me, but, and in the end, you know, I always want to, always want to put some materials together. <laughs> sure. Well, and I think again, I, just to kind of uh, clarify, I, I was bringing that partially to the to the fact that you're you know you're talking about your parents being painters, right? Well, my you know my dad, but what, by the time I was born, he was already thoroughly, you know, had his studio, glass studio, up and running, and and was doing that, um, you know, full time. Right, right. Um, and you know, so neither of them really pursued painting as, you know, out of school. Um, right, although right. my mom did, um, you know, and especially she taught things like that. So, I mean, they were, they were, you know, doing craft fairs and, um, sure. And things like that. So, it, I, I mean, it turned out really, well. right. you know, I, I don't remember it being a point of strain, but we were also in East Tennessee. And although he, made a specific, he's told me he made a specific point to not show in Tennessee for the first 10 years of his career. You know, he's really focused on getting work out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, he worked really hard to make it a, not an issue, but you know, cost of living is less in East Tennessee and we're on, you know, sort of a family farm. And, um, I think that sort of thing makes it easier. I, I mean, not easier, but, um, it makes it sort of a different lifestyle than living in New York city, which is, um, uh, sort of for me, at least a fight (laughs) every day. Well, I mean, especially Um, to have that space, I I would think, um, you know, being in a, being in a place where you can have facilities to do, to do glass work and, 
and all that other stuff to, to not have to be either bothered by it either, just to have a little, I don't know, a little bit more quiet, I guess, to work or a little bit more space and, and room. I definitely enjoy going back home and working. Um, these days, uh, since I've left, since I graduated school, I go back and work with my dad in the glass studio and I make, um, parts, um, for my sculptures. So I do have some blown glass bits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I was going to ask actually like a, like a lot about the, that material aspect to it. Um, was it, did you, did you wind up taking a lot of different kinds of classes? I wish there were, um, uh, I can't quite tell if it was my, at the university of Tennessee, you know, I don't know if it was just me being sort of, uh, focused and not, necessarily looking around at the other classes, but I don't think that there were, um, that many options. So there were mixed media sculpture classes, of course. And I, while I was there, I was also really into, uh, iron pouring, um, which is a big event. And I worked a lot toward those, um, Whereas I don't actually use a lot of cast iron in my work, but um, I really enjoyed the process. But there wasn't, as far as I can remember, there were sewing classes or fiber classes or um, material-specific classes like that. Um, In graduate school, I did get to, um, because of the nature of, of the programs, I could go into the other departments for critiques or invite, um, the artists from the other departments to visit my studio or the heads of the department. So they, at Cranbrook, there was fiber, a fiber department and metals and ceramics. And, um, it was a, that school is particularly material focused a little bit. Um, of course I did take ceramics and I, I don't really use ceramics in my work, but I, (laughs) I happen to, um, some of my day jobs here in the city, I, I work for two or three artists and actually end up doing a lot of ceramics for them, um, or with them for their work. So it's kind of funny. I guess I just keep it separate. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and so then when, when you started to kind of approach, um, you know, sculpture that, I mean, so was it encouraged early on then to kind of be using a lot of these different materials and then. I guess if also you could just kind of maybe talk about maybe things that you were interested in, um, you know, maybe around that time when you were, you know, maybe, uh, kind of in the middle of, uh, your undergraduate degree, was it still, um, you know, things dealing a lot with landscape and, and kind of related to that? Or was there, you know, maybe like a period of time searching for what you're interested in doing? Um, yeah. So the, it, it, it was kind of segueing into that via the accumulation of materials and undergrad, I was really interested in accumulation, um, in a way that is both material based and also object based in our, in our lives. Um, when I was really kind of finding my way, I feel like there is, um, in our sculpture department, there is a lot of metal work going on, a lot of woodwork, um, and, uh, not a whole lot of fabric. Um, so I was, you know, I was young and I wanted to overtly cart, you know, be, be a little different. So I was using more fabric than the other, uh, people around me. Um, but, and also, um, dishes. I used a lot of fabric and dishes, um, in, in undergrad. And basically what I was seeking was kind of a, a visual landscape of domestic accumulation and, and detritus and, um, sort of collage of those things together. So some of the early work, I guess some of it's on my website, um, you know, a collection of lamps or a collection of clothing, um, that have been altered or, um, I did, you know, collection of cast objects that are kind of like trinkets and knickknacks that are around the house, all cast in sugar. Um, yeah, things like that. Uh, I was, of course, undergrad is all about experimenting. I know one of my 
professors said to me that if you weren't take at each piece, if you weren't taking any risks, if you can ask yourself if you're taking a risk or doing something new, then, you know, you're not pushing yourself forward. Um, I, and I held to that for a really long time. I don't know. It kind of changes when you're, when your um, studio practice changes and you're sort of swirling around something for a little bit longer than an academic school year. Um, right, right. And, uh, and, and going in a little deeper into stuff. But, uh, i I feel like that that's really important. Um, in undergrad is to just try a lot of different materials, even if people around you aren't using them. Sure. Well, and, hard and, to, it's hard to know, I guess, if people aren't using them, but I don't know. <laughs> were, were you, um, were you also doing a lot of installations then as well with, with the materials or were they purely more sculptural? Yeah, I've always, um, it's it's actually very hard for me to hone everything down to a, a more discrete object. It's something that I'm actually, I, I try to do. I find it a really great challenge to sort of make a uh, object that is, it, you know, self-contained. Um, and I'm always really happy when it comes out. But definitely through school, uh, I was really interested in taking up space. And I found some uh, sketchbooks from early on, and apparently I wanted to move to New York. <laughs> um, for, even in undergrad, I knew that after grad school I wanted to move to New York. Um, so I'm I'm glad that I did that, since that's apparently what I wanted to do. Right, right. Um, at least for a little while. And I, I had this notion that I wasn't going to have any space in New York because um, it's expensive and, and tight here. So, um, my, you know, last two years of undergrad and throughout grad school, I just focused on taking up as much space as possible. I remember even saying that out loud. Um, <laughs> so I, I really wanted to make a lot, make my, make a lot of multiples and, and make sort of large environments. Um, obviously since coming here and my, as you pointed out, my space and place really affects my work. And I think it's totally fine that, um, my studio practice in New York reflects, you know, what I've got going on here. Sure. Sure. Um, it's living, living and working space in the buildings and, you know, it's, it's good. It just has to, it has to inform each other for me. You know, sometimes people will work almost an opposite to that. Like they might, um, you know, they might, they might move some more and then make work that's reminiscent of that. Um, and so is it kind of like a, a combination of some of those things at times, or is it, is it really more about then, you know, where, what, how you're reacting to a place that you've, you've moved to and, and then essentially adjusted to after a bit? Uh, I'd say the second thing it's, it's more about moving to a place and then adjusting. I mean, I think when I moved to New York, I was still making, work with the mindset that I was in Detroit and, um, I've been in New York since 2006. So six years now. Um, and when I move studios or, uh, I've been in this last place for about three years now, I'm sort of making work that I had thought about like a year or two ago. So I'm always a little like hmm. my, I'm always a little bit behind myself, uh, but it's consistent. So I guess it's fine. That's apparently my, you know, rate of absorption. Sure. So, sure. um, but now, uh, my current space, which, uh, my, uh, boyfriend and I, who is also a sculptor and a, you know, a fabricator, um, he, we, have a whole building here in Queens. It's live work and it's three stories. And I, there was a lot of stuff here. We sort of took it on and, and cleared it out and renovated it, you know, to a studio situation, you know, not completely renovated, um, to a degree that the building gave me a lot. Um, all of a sudden there's a lot of material. Um, and sort of that, kind of pushed my work forward. There's these, these moments where you have sort of a leap and, um, 
sort of being surrounded by all of this material and the history of the building, um, uh, really changed my practice in the last couple of years. And I've, I've become a lot more open to using literally anything, anything is at risk around me to be incorporated into a sculpture <laughs> or a work, um, be it trash or something I've had a while or something that is, uh, John's that's not even mine. You just, if it sits near me too long, it, it might be taken. <laughs> well, and, and again, I, I think it's interesting because there, you know, when you, when you, when anyone does kind of look over your website, you know, um, and your work, you know, there's just so many, so many different materials that you do wind up using. Um, and I know that you kind of talked about, um, maybe kind of being interested in, I really like this idea of the, the domestic architecture idea, or, you know, these, these things that are, that are, you know, things that you associate with interior spaces of landscape. Um, was that mm-hmm. something that shifted then towards, towards kind of a, um, more of that, I guess, exterior then when you, when you kind of moved to Detroit. Um, and I know that you, you'd kind of talked about then kind of moving towards more like this expansive or, or taking up, you know, as much space as possible in terms of the way that you're, you're kind of working out on these, but I just kind of want to get an idea just so that I know, you know, essentially what you were, what you were, were kind of looking at prior to coming to New York, you know, what, um, what things were similar and maybe what things were, were, you know, then changing and adapting. And I, I especially just because of the way, you know, Detroit seems like such an interesting place. And, um, sadly I have to say that I haven't been there, but, um, you know, c- certainly seen a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, buildings that have been, you know, falling apart and abandoned. And, and I would imagine maybe that that's something that would be interesting to you, but I don't know. Is that you could tell me? <laughs> well, I, it is interesting to me. Um, you know, the, when I, the architecture that I think about though, usually in my work is much more rural than what I was around in Detroit. Uh, the, the school actually, um, which is where I spent most of my time is in kind of a super fancy suburb. It was very interesting to see, um, the disparity between the, the suburbs and the, and, you know, past eight mile in Detroit. Um, but it was, uh, Cranbrook is kind of a magical place. It's, it's a large rolling campus with other, with private schools on it. Um, beautifully Saarinen designed, um, art, campus and museum, um, and, uh, everything, uh, lots of, there's a arts and crafts history there and it's reflected in the architecture by the early people that were there, Charles and Ray Eames and things like that. So it's kind of a magical place, the school. And I feel like that affected me a lot. Um, and, uh, sort of reinforced, uh, some, uh, imagery that I had rolling around already from growing up in kind of this, uh, rural fields and mountain sort of visual place. Um, and then both Detroit, the both inner city Detroit, and then moving to Brooklyn and moved to Bushwick. Um, basically what that's done is it's kind of interrupted my, my landscape. And so I still have the, it's like a glitch. So I still have these, uh, sort of rolling bucolic situations, but they've been, um, kind of fragmented, tilted. Um, you know, I'm, I'm much more, um, inclined to have a buildup of what I think is a combination of debris and landscape. It's sort of both of those environments, you know, wrapping around each other and, and informing each other. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question or not. No, I, th- I think it does. But one of the things that's interesting to me too, is that you, you kind of allow, um, I don't know, for like an examination of the things that are maybe unseen, Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of explored in that way. And, and I'm thinking specifically cause they're that landscape, um, especially in some pieces is really apparent where you're kind of referencing those, you know, those kind of ridges that you might maybe associate mm-hmm. in Tennessee. Um, 
but it's almost like a cross section. So it, it's interesting to me because I think sometimes then they become, you know, very fantastic in terms of, you know, what might be inside or what might be revealed. Um, and I'm looking like, like I'm looking at one, uh, a piece right now called mound from 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one called uh, large mountain from 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it, is it something then where, where there's also like that, that I guess kind of reexamining or, just kind of using like a, a moment like that, that you're maybe kind of, you know, referencing in that and then taking it off in, in some other direction. Yes, definitely. Um, I feel that, uh, you, you know, a lot, when I'm thinking about these things like large mound and it, it still exists in my current work, even though, um, the mountain and the, and the fields are less present as a whole. Um, I'm thinking also of the way that we, we perceive and have to understand landscape, which is a lot of times within a frame, um, be it a photograph or our range of vision, um, mapped or, um, things of that nature. And then in reference to New York, a much more, uh, to me, a romantic way, like the Hudson Valley painters, you know, kind of looking at how you compose a, uh, a view and then what the edges of that are like. Um, so there's, there's a lot of information in the middle, but a lot of times I'm interested in where it ends. And I find that part really interesting. So, uh, it, creates cross sections of objects and, and forms. And then I sort of step back from that and, and pull what I can from that and move on to the next piece. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because then you see, you, you almost kind of see that transition, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, or or something that's maybe changing into something else. I I really like that idea. So how, how does that process work then in terms of materials, you know, and, and I guess one of the things that we haven't really addressed is how, how big is the moving truck that you need when you move? <laughs> I can't imagine, I don't know, just having, having access to all of these things like somewhere and then just kind of being like, Oh, got to move to New York now. Yeah, no, it's really horrible. And actually, um, the move to New York, I, I didn't take a lot of materials with me. You know, I took some work. Um, but I, that was it was it took me a couple of years cuz i have to have uh objects and materials around me right um I'm, of course i'm always seeking out stuff and i have you know things that i am intentionally looking for because i have an idea but also you know it took me a while to accumulate stuff just to have um cuz i can have fabric or uh, bits of wood or some sort of thing around me for years and then all of a sudden I'll use it and so it was a slow um, bit in my studio practice when I was accumulating these things again or maybe not slow but um, harder uh, not that it's not always hard but um, well just accumulating all these all these things so that you can almost yes. edit then you know you're like <laughs> You're getting Definitely. enough material to kind of just freely be able to, I guess, walk around and and start, you know, associating them together or seeing them together. Or... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that also goes for things that I mean, not just raw materials, but things that I've made, like upholstered, um, you know, bits of upholstered mountains, the um, cinder blocks, or upholstered. Uh, there's some pieces where I've upholstered just any scrap of linear sort of linear scraps in the studio. I just took them all and, uh, wrapped them in fabric and then used that as the building blocks for, uh, a kind of brush pile structure or, um, things like that. So now I have, I have these, you know, rejected elements and other things around and I, I, they just work their way into, into pieces. And and that's what I love. Um, when you have a rhythm going where you have parts of different sculptures and they, or, you know, drawings and sculptures together and they, they, uh, are able to be, um, rearranged into something. Um, 
the moving truck that I <laughs> use to move, you know, the purging is good too. Um, there's definitely, uh, because some of the earlier work I made was so big, it didn't necessarily break down in a way that is conducive to being here. You know, we, there's a last rites and they, <laughs> some of them got skinned and I took parts and, and got rid of the rest. And, um, you know, it's something that you learn when you get out of school, uh, about being archival. <laughs> um, it's both material based and space based and, and you just have to, you just get better at it as you go along. So, um, sure. I think that's something that I've turned my nose up at in, in art school because it was about making the thing now. And uh, not worrying about it later, not letting those constraints be on me. Um, and now I consider it all the way through, uh, which I think is better. And uh, I, I think I needed that other period in my learning to obviously happen. I just need to build it big and, and, and see what happened. But, um, you know, it's good to be able to uh, keep things for a while, move around and be able to send them to shows without maybe me actually having to rent a giant truck and take it. Sure. Um, it, it's, it's good to have a variety of, of, uh, experiences in your work that are on multiple scales, but, um, it's also challenging and creative and, and, uh, you know, kind of more responsible. You have to be responsible for what you're what you're making and putting together. I was going to ask you about the relationship of scale because, you know, the, the miniature and the, and the larger stuff is, is, um, you know, obviously a lot different and, and kind of present different challenges, but I was just kind of curious tangentially then is there, what's, what's the strangest thing that you've kind of come across? Or, I mean, do you, you know, regularly kind of like see things just like that someone's discarded? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff I see and I just am like, I cannot, take that. Um, you know, the, um, I did a show in Miami last fall of 2011. And, uh, that was also in conjunction with a, uh, residency down there, the Fountainhead residency. So I was able to stay at the residency and, um, the the gallery was actually closed for the month that I was at the residency. So I used the gallery as my studio and I made all the work for my show within that month, which was a lot of pressure on myself. I shipped some pieces down, um, not some, some parts of pieces, um, down and then use those as sort of seeds for the rest of the show. So, I was looking for, you know, all of a sudden I was in a white cube, which is really great for setting up work, but I didn't have all my stuff around me that right. I could just, you know, grab in moments of panic. And then, you know, usually I end up not using it anyway, but I just, you know, pull everything out and then, and, and go from there. So I was wandering the streets, literally, um, looking for, uh, objects that inspired me or shapes, um, that inspired me. Cause I already have the shapes that are come from inside me, like what I make and what I love to do is have those fused with, uh, shapes and, and objects from the world. That's where I get sort of my partially my hand and handled bits of my work, um, you know, collage together with found objects and things like that. So um, I pulled, ended up pulling off, uh, I didn't pull it off, but it was on the side of the gallery building was an old drain pipe with that like kind of semi pink, um, concrete spray, you know, Miami concrete spray that was on the outside of the building on it. And I ended up using that. It was like a, like a 12 foot piece and a five foot piece that ended up integrating into a sculpture um, a bit of a wall down the way that had this great, you know, blue paint on cinder blocks, um, different <laughs> bits right, of trash. Right. And so, you know, so like, uh, you know, bits of wood that I would gold leaf. Um, I made a 
a large uh, light box with a piece of um, plexi that I found also. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a purist, you know, I don't, I'm not an artist that makes everything out of found or discarded material, but, um, I really love the history that found or discarded material brings to my studio party, to my conversation. Um, you know, it's like real time versus, um, archival stuff in my head and new, new things that are happening, all of that coming together in this, in the making process. Um, and I, and it, it helps, I see it as helping me, um, in generating the, the, the foundation for whatever work that I'm, that I'm making. And so I made, um, basically, six or seven pieces in 30 days, um, that were, you know, that felt (laughs) to, that filled to, um, you know, rooms in a gallery. And it, and it was, I felt like I just output so much. I was so empty at the end and it, you know, and it slow cause that was so, that was a lot, you know, I'm, I'm used to sort of laboring over stuff a little bit longer, but it was, um, just being able to be a little desperate and reach out for things that I wouldn't have done necessarily in my studio. And I was really happy with it in the end, but anyway, yeah, drain pipes, drain (laughs) pipe is probably the thing, um, that I've taken most recently. I used to be really into, you know, beams, um, which I still am, but I would drag these, uh, giant beams. If I saw them in dumpsters, you know, from a renovation or something like that. Um, I got a lot of mileage out of those. <laughs> sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and again, I'm, I, to kind of get back to what, one of the things that I was going to talk about was just then, you know, you get a clear sense of the, the, the size of the materials that you're using when you're describing them, you know, cause they're all, they're all in that, that big world, you know, um, you know, like when you talk about, I, you know, you know, beams or, you know, things that are much larger, um, and you see the sculptural work and the installations, I mean, you get a sense of that scale. Um, so what's it like then kind of incorporating then some of that, some of that stuff that's a bit smaller, maybe the, the, the thing that I'm thinking about, um, is a bit old is, is I'm looking at this, um, it's a paperscape. Well, you know, the paperscape, uh, also there's sort of a shift in my, in maybe two shifts in my work I was doing, uh, through school, um, larger installations. I was really interested in enticing the viewer to come into the space, um, and be a part of the environment. And then I sort of flipped and I, in creating some of the miniature spaces, I was interested in the viewer still wanting to come in and be a part of the environment, but simply through scale, denying them that. Um, and so that's when I kind of, you know, the, the paperscape still takes up a fair amount of space, even though it's, you know, it's like six feet by, you know, four feet or something like that, but you can't, the, the imagery, which, you know, the cut grass and the beams are all very small. You can't, you're, it's not at your scale. Um, and then I sort of, I didn't reverse again, but I moved into, um, sort of making, uh, a combination. So there were items that were what I call like real time scale, like scaled with us, you know, beams or, or dishes or things that we use or around via architecture and our everyday, um, you know, living, sort of fused with kind of a smaller amorphous landscape shape that, so the scale kind of flips back and forth within the single piece rather than it being one all the way or the other. Um, and, uh, the, the, the miniature is still there, I think, in a lot of these larger pieces. Um, but just not, uh, not as overt as in that piece or a couple of other pieces. However, I recently, uh, finished a show 
um, that is in a series of shows at Mixed Greens in Chelsea. Uh, it's titled Sea Rock City, and it's through a curator and group called Projective City. And I made an entire a solo show um, that you could only view through a, like a door viewer. Mm-hmm. So it gives you that bubble uh, effect, fisheye lens effect of viewing the show and you were not allowed to enter. And uh, that was kind of, for me, really rewarding because it kind of went back to some of my earlier ideas about not, you know, letting the viewer access these worlds, basically. However, at the same time, um, and, and most people, you know, really wanted to go into the show and they were looking for the door. But in reality, the, the whole gallery and the pieces were miniature. So the, the gallery itself, even though it looks full size when you, when you view it, is only, you know, 12 by 12 inches by 12 inches. Sure, basically. sure. Um, I, I, it's a really interesting series. And, and so there's, there's an artist before me and, there, and there's one up now. Um, I think so far my work has you know, been the, you know, the largest going to the smallest, um, you know, so it was really confusing for people who had followed my work, you know, uh, but in the process of making those miniature versions of what I think I would make if I, you know, was given a, a solo show there, it would be great. Um, I really enjoyed working tiny and I've, I've tried to ride that momentum and make some smaller, pieces I've been doing some small, um, I don't, these aren't on my website, but some small glass, uh, branches that I, I did, um, in the, in the glass studio that are kind of, um, festooned with some, some smaller details. Um, and so the, I, I do try to, uh, to ride a wave if I'm working, if I'm working small, um, Sure. There's some other, there's some other small pieces on the website though, like white stick jars, all these sort of, um, rhinestone encrusted branches inside of a jar with blown glass bubbles. Um, I really love white rhinestones, um, as a, as a thing. Cause the, the reason these are called rhinestones is because of the cut. Rhinestone is a type of cut of a stone. Um, that gives it a particular glitter or shine, um, or reflection and for it to be opaque white, um, sort of denies the whole function of the shape. Um, but you know, just through, uh, manufacturing, you can make these plastic, you know, in any, in any color and people order them. So I kind of really love those. I use them a lot in my, in my work. Um, kind of a, it's like a dead, like a dead eye. They, they're just flat and really right. wonderful, both contained and large at the same time, which I think it was a really wonderful project for me to be involved in because it flexed my, both of my muscles basically, which is trying to create something that, that looks big and then satisfying that kind of fussy, uh, small making because I love working. I love working small to create something big, which is why, you know, a lot of my sculptures have, you know, rhinestones, which is a lot of repetitive work or the sewn, um, upholstered elements that I then add up to make something big. But before that, I'm sort of repetitively making these, you know, medium to small, um, objects and then they become large later when they're sort of assembled into some kind of structure. One of the things that I would think about that in terms of um, that scale too is that obviously there's there's also a lot of really small kind of meticulous detail. Yes, I love that. You're talking about rhinestones and I'm guessing that you know you might be using thousands of these in some spots or mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. I'm looking at a piece um, new monuments where you where you've got all these. Um, it looks like just different tree branches almost that are just kind of wrapped and wrapped and wrapped with string. And are there any particular pieces then that you, you can think of maybe that, um, oh, I'm, I'm sure this is another easy question that, um, I don't know that you can think of recently that you were really informed by aside from maybe, uh, the Sea Rock City one. Um, the, um, 
collaborative piece uh, that I did with my uh, partner, John Taylor. He, uh, we did a show called Sentimental Canoe um, at ADA Gallery in Richmond, and that was 2010, which is pretty recent. Um, and that was that was sort of helped push along a shift in how I gather materials for my work. Um, we both have very different um, uh, sort of strengths in our work. He's He's sort of an engineer. He's really good at, um, at uh, well, he's good at a lot of things. He's good at um, building structures and also at um, seeing the potential in so in a lot of materials, um, which I admire. So basically what we did is kind of, you know, fused our forces together. And um, this was right when we, right after we moved into our studio and, um, the building, uh, which used to be a karate studio in the seventies. Um, and out here, it's not like Manhattan where new businesses move in and, and they renovate the space and, and set it up. So, uh, the, the next business, which was a print studio, um, kind of just scooted the karate stuff to the side (laughs) and, you know, set up shop for the next decade. So the, the whole studio was covered in this, this, wood paneling that you might remember from, uh, you know, a grandparent or a great grandparents, uh, bin, um, over the whole entire building and lots of mirrors. And so what we did is we decided to, um, tear it down (laughs) and create these tree structures out of it, which again, we sort of made in parts and then took to the gallery and, and built there. Um, and, uh, I, I really feel like being able to do multiple things at once, which was renovate our space, take down this material that would just go to the dumpster and sort of use it for its evocative nostalgic properties. Cause it's this wood paneling from a very specific era and, uh, and turn it into, um, this sort of nostalgic catch-all where we, we collaborated on putting our kind of favorite materials together to create this landscape. Um, the term sentimental canoe, which, um, was, uh, the, the title, um, was based on a, a story where John, um, was renting from, uh, someone upstate and wanted to take out, uh, he had a large antique collection also in this building wanted to take the canoe out and use it. And, and the, and the guy said that it was, uh, his first canoe and it was sort of sentimental. Hmm. <laughs> so John said, you know what? Never mind. So right. basically it's become a term that means that it's an object that has lost its function because it has, um, these other properties of being nostalgic or sentimental, as he said himself. And so it no longer functions as what it is intended. And so all of the, we sort of transferred that, not necessarily into objects, but into materials for this piece that everything has been sort of repurposed in a way to, to create this kind of emotional landscape um, in that way. Sure. And that was a really fun project. And I think we both got a lot out of that um, and, have used it separately in our, in our practices. And, um, is that something that you're going to continue to do then in, in terms of just kind of working collaboratively and, and kind of seeing how, how that process, um, might inform your own work then? Yes, definitely. I, I mean, we have collaborated since then, um, not necessarily, um, to this scale. Um, but we're, he is working on a more uh, sort of retail installations, as I said, uh, window displays and more permanent um, fixtures. And I've helped him with that. And then we have done some smaller collaborations that are both um, sculptural based. And then we also um, work on uh, designs, you know, more functional stuff like, uh, lighting and things like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, sort of feed into his practice. So. Well, one thing we haven't talked about either is, uh, are, are there any other artists that you look at that you draw from that you get inspired by or, or like to look at? Um, yeah, you know, I, I obviously being in New York, I have access to a lot of, uh, you know, shows, you know, whether it's somebody that I'm aware of or, you know, not aware of, uh, and that really informs me because I can just walk around and there are the, you know, around be it Chelsea or Brooklyn and have these sort of things inform me um, about how people come upon work in, in these venues and in space because that's how a lot of people see work. I mean, there's also on the Internet. <laughs> um, right. But you know, this is, this is the, so I try to really pay attention to how, um, other people put work in space, be, be it sort of a large, you know, a well-established artist or someone who, you know, is, you know, like me. Um, and then also something that really keeps my, uh, keeps me flexible and, and, uh, thinking about work in a particular way is that, uh, a lot of, since I've moved to New York, I work for other artists and work with other artists, um, in their studios, helping build things and, uh, you know, you know, keeping the studio functioning. Um, so I, I really enjoy how that sort of relationship works. Um, because it's not necessarily someone that you don't really know and, uh, you know, it's not someone that you're sharing a studio with. It's, it's like a, you're working with them, your concerns, their concerns are your concerns, at least for a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I work with, uh, Beverly Sims who does large scale, um, fabric installations and also ceramic and glass and Nicole Cherubini who also does uh, large uh, wood and ceramic sculptures and working with them. I've worked for both of them um, off and on for um, almost the whole time I've been here, six years or so. Um, And that their work has really uh, influenced me in the way that um, both of them, uh, you know, have much more, you know, Beverly does large installations, but also has these sort of concise dress um, pieces or um, ceramic pieces. And I sort of look to them and they to see how to make my work kind of inform each other through the body of work, not necessarily having to put everything into um, each piece, which is something... I struggle with because I always want to add more. Um, and so I, I am really affected by their being so close to their practices. It's been really helpful. How about some non art areas of influence? Uh, yeah, I listen to a lot of music. Um, again, I've kind of swung back to my, you know, roots. I really enjoy bluegrass and, uh, this new, uh, kind of, uh, bluegrassy, um, alternative country thing that I think there's kind of more of a body of music of that. So I listen to a lot of, a lot of that, but also, um, I really, I enjoy, um, gardening, um, urban gardening, I guess would be the term for it because, um, I obviously don't have any dirt here in the city. So I work really, really hard on the, on the roof, um, which is sort of a similar process. I kind of grab things from the street, um, and, and, and grow things in them. So I've got kind of like a, a collection of objects on the roof that, that are, um, growing all sorts of stuff. And in addition to just, you know, uh, buckets and things that I, that I grow. So, I mean, that's, that's a big thing. And it's actually really similar to my studio (laughs) practice. Um, and then we also head out to the woods a lot. So I, I try to keep 
it's very easy to get uh, uh, New York. Um, right. It's not easy, but I'm immersed in it. You know, I'm dealing with the city every day, moving about in it, you know, going to fun stuff too, going to see shows and functions and, but, um, to keep my kind of connection with, uh, you know, what drives a lot of my work, I try to, um, sort of make it out into the, into the woods, into the world. Um, additionally, I, I love, um, we both love going to flea markets. Um, we love driving out. I mean, they're beautiful markets in the city, um, that we go to, but then also in sort of odder, more odd spots out on, on, on a Long Island or out here near the airport, you can find some pretty crazy stuff. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, which I use for both my work and, and life. And then sometimes it gets dragged back into my work. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, we're about out of time. Um, but I, I would also, you know, welcome the, uh, the opportunity, the invite to, uh, uh, share with us any, any, uh, big things that you have coming up that we should check out and, and look forward to. Oh, great. Um, uh, here in a, in a couple of weeks, um, I'm just made a small piece that got curated into a benefit here. Um, for Nurture Art, uh, which is a nonprofit organization in Brooklyn, which is really, really fabulous. I've shown with them a few times um, and was part of the Bushwick Biennial. Uh, I believe it was the only biennial. In 2009, um, I had a big piece on their roof there. It's also on my website. So that's I'm really excited to be involved in that event um, for the first time this year, um, and it's a uh, curated event where you can, once you purchase a ticket, you, um, get to, uh, get a piece of work. So it's, that's really nice. Um, the next thing, as far as my own show, um, I'm planning on a solo show in the city, um, in the spring or early summer this year, um, or in 2013. Um, I can't totally, it's not totally confirmed, but, um, I will let you know, maybe you can put it under our, our interview here. Well, yeah, um, definitely. But I have the exact dates, but it'll be in the, in, in the city in Tribeca, um, with a small gallery that I'm, I'm really excited about. So Wait. that's, uh, and that'll, that's to me, that's soon. <laughs> right, right. So, um, I'll have to get to work on that, but that's about all I've got. I've got coming up, um, at the moment. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, it's been great chatting with you this morning and, um, you know, I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you so much. Um, and you're, you're welcome to call anytime. I really enjoyed our conversation. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks again to Audrey for joining us today. Once again, if you'd like to see more of Audrey's work, please check out her website, AudreyRussell.com. Of course, if you don't want to actually type that in, you can go to StudioBreak.com and click the link under Audrey's blog post. Once again, we have a lot of other artists there, so while you're there, you might as well check them out and see what they're all about. We've got a good variety, so please go ahead and do that. Once again, you can subscribe to the Studio Break podcast in iTunes. And once again, we'd really appreciate it if you would leave us some feedback there. It's much appreciated. Of course, you can like us on Facebook and also get previews of upcoming guests, get updates from past guests and all sorts of good stuff there. So please go ahead and like us there as well. Lastly, again, you can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. And if you're interested, you can follow me at David Linaway. And if you'd like to find out more about me, please go to my website, davidlinaway.com, and conveniently, you will find a link at Studio Break. So go ahead and do that. You'll also notice that we have freemusicarchive.org linked up on Studio Break as well. I highly recommend that site to check out free music. There's tons and tons of it, and you can download all of it. So it's really great stuff. Our intro song today was Halloween's Peaches, and taking us out is Jazar's Dirt. And our last request is that you just go ahead and share this with anyone and everyone that you might think would enjoy it. We'd really appreciate it. We'll talk to you real soon. 